and we're going to be reading the first chapter of Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it night, day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, Go through the camp and tell the people, Get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This is God's word. Good evening, everybody. Uh, My name is Phil. I'm one of the ministers on staff here. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get on to the heretical first point that's on the screen. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Joshua. And we thank you for all the things that you, our God, are going to teach us through it. Father, we pray that you would give us uh, sharp minds to understand ancient stories and soft hearts that we might respond in faith to all that your spirit says. Amen. Uh, This is not a book of history, Joshua. The Old Testament traditionally is split up in in Hebrew thinking as the law, the prophets, and the writings. Uh, The law is the first five books, the Pentateuch, um, Genesis through to Deuteronomy. 
the, the writings are the wisdom literature, Psalms, Song of Songs, um, Ecclesiastes that we've been looking at in the evening, Job, things like that. The prophets, I guess we think of Isaiah and Jeremiah and um, Habakkuk and all those books that we're very familiar with. Uh, what do you do then with Joshua and the others? Interestingly, they didn't call them the books of history. They called them the former prophets. The former prophets, which is odd, but it's important. You see, uh, when I say this is not history, it is historical. It is true. Before uh, uh, people start getting ready to stone me, it's uh, <laughs> I haven't gone weird and stopped believing the Bible. There, it is history. It's true. But it's not mere history. This is not an academic exercise as we look at uh, this ancient account of the Israelite invasion of Canaan. It is prophecy. In other words, this is God speaking to us today. Uh, words that you and I need to hear. This is God teaching us the lessons that you and I, if we follow the Lord Jesus, need to know now in the 21st century in London. So it's not history in the sense of it's not mere history. Don't think of this as history. This is prophecy. This is God speaking to us. Okay, what are the particular lessons of this book, Joshua? What is it that, uh, that means that this seems like a good thing for us to be studying as a church this summer term? Well, as God is bringing um, his people into their, their inheritance in the promised land, let me first say a couple of things. One is, um, as he brings his people into the promised land, it is not a book with any relevance to current land disputes in the Middle East. This has no relevance for that. Uh, the nation of Israel is given this land, we're told in the book of Joshua, and earlier on in Genesis 15, uh, in part as God's judgment on the wicked Canaanite inhabitants. But then when the Israelites themselves reject God and rebel against him, they are judged and thrown out. And Jesus is pretty clear in, uh, towards the end of the Gospels as he says, uh, God is done with the temple in Jerusalem and the unique place of uh, the Israelite people and his purpose. Uh, got, things have changed. So this has no, you can't turn to Joshua and say, oh, this is, this is relevant to debates about um, Israel, Palestine, and, and the, well, the, the terribly pained debates that take place over that. It's not relevant to that. And it's not relevant either to something else that people think it speaks about. So it is true, it is a book that reveals a lot about God's holiness, his perfect moral standards and his judgment and punishment of sin. But it has no relevance to discussions on jihad and crusade. It is absolutely explicitly crystal clear that this is a unique moment in history. And no major Christian group has ever understood that this is a template for Christians to follow. Jesus never says, follow Joshua and fight. Jesus says, follow me. And he forgives his enemies. And he loves those who hate him. And he dies to save the very people who kill him. So it has nothing to, to say about geographical political disputes. It has nothing to say uh, crusade, jihad. So what does it teach? Well, it teaches uh, four things. Firstly, it teaches the importance of God's written word. It's a massive theme that runs through Joshua. Uh, secondly, we'll see it teaches about the holiness of God. He's not as casual about uh, moral standards as you and I like to imagine he is. And we'll see that. And thirdly, it teaches that it is God's faithfulness that brings about blessing. 
faithfulness to God's word is necessary for, for blessing to be received. But finally, most fundamentally, it teaches that God is faithful to his covenant. In other words, God, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, is faithful to do everything he has promised to do. That's the huge lesson of Joshua. God is faithful to deliver on his promises. And the great thing in Joshua is that uh, lots of bits of the Bible declare God will do what God has promised. In Joshua, it's not just declared, it's demonstrated. This is the book in which you see God um, cashing in the checks that he's written. The money appears in the bank at this point in the Bible. Many of the promises that God has been making over hundreds of years where they get cashed in in the book of Joshua. And you see, the Christian life is a life of promise. And this is why Joshua is so important for you and for me. Or or to put it another way, um, this is not as good as it gets, which is something of a relief to many of us. You know, as good as this life is, it can suck at times. It just can. And if you don't know that, then... um, just wait um, without wanting to be too depressing. It, but the truth is life, as beautiful and rich as it is, can be really hard. And if this life is the best that God can do, I guess a lot of us would say, I'd like my money back, please. But it's not. It's not. This life, for all its pain and disappointment, is not the best that God has for you. The Christian life is a life of promise. And we wait for the day when we'll share in God's promised inheritance. A promise that we will share in a paradise remade world that God is going to to make. Uh, The promise that he'll remake our physical bodies, that we'll have new healthy bodies that don't get sick and get cancer and die. The promise that we'll have new hearts that no longer uh, desire stuff that's just harmful for us. The promise that we'll have new attitudes and actions that mean we no longer cause harm to the people we love with the stuff we say and do. And the promise that on uh, a day will come, judgment day, when God will declare and all the universe will hear God say to you, if you trust in Jesus, this is my child. They are forgiven. They are righteous. And I want them with me forever. Christianity is, uh, is about promise. And the question is, how do we get this great stuff God has promised to us? How can I be sure that I will receive the stuff that God has promised for the future? Because like everybody, I go through periods of doubt. Like everybody, I desire stuff which God says is sinful. Like everybody, I struggle to follow Jesus on a day-by-day basis. But here's the great thing that God says to all of us through Joshua 1, whether you call yourself a Christian or you're still looking into these things and wonder whether you could ever live the Christian life. God says by his spirit to each of us through Joshua 1, it is not down to you. It's not down to you. It's not down to your strength, your faithfulness, your perseverance. Everything that I have promised is given to you by Jesus. Don't look to yourself and wonder, can I make it? Look to him and ask, can he do it? And he has done it and he will do everything that's necessary for you and for me to receive all the awesome blessings of God. That's the great message of Joshua 1. Uh, Let's see how he gets there. Um, 
You got the points on your sheet, four points. Firstly, God's presence, God's promises. Verses one to four. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. The date is sometime around 1400 BC. We're not exactly sure. And the 12 tribes of Israel are camped on the east bank of the River Jordan, just outside what is modern day Israel or Palestine. And they've been here before. They've been here before. After they left Egypt in the Exodus, they came pretty much uh, straight here via Sinai. They went to Mount Sinai, they received God's law, they became really his people. And then after they'd uh, been instructed by God, they traveled here, the direct route basically, and arrived at the edge of the promised land. But they sent 12 spies out in to explore the land, work out what it, was, what it was like. They'd only heard about it from God. It's not like you know today where you look at the holiday brochure beforehand. They had none of that. They just they went. So they send out 12 spies and they come back. And the people are excited. You know, God has promised. And the, people, and the spies just come. Oh, it's, they're huge. They're massive. They're all huge. They're going to kill us. They've got massive walled cities. It's a disaster. Run away is basically what they say. In other words, they judged by sight rather than by faith. God had said, I'm your God, I'll sort it out. And they said, uh, 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 they're huge. There's no way we can beat them. And so they responded with fear rather than with faith. They judged by sight, not by faith. And so instead of a lifetime enjoying God's blessings, they have a lifetime enduring his judgment. God rejects that generation. They wander in the desert for 40 years. For 40 years. And God lets them wander in the desert until all but two of that generation have died out. Those two are Caleb and Joshua, who were the only two spies who were faithful, who said, it's a fantastic place, and God will give it to us. And now, again, the Israelites, the descendants of those faithless people, stand on the edge of the promised land. The faithless generation has died, but then so has Moses, their leader. And you'll notice uh, Moses is a big deal. Do you see he's mentioned four times in just those uh, first um, three or four verses? Four times he's mentioned. He was the man. Moses was the guy. When Israel was just a slave nation being worked to death in Egypt... It was Moses God sent to confront Pharaoh. It was Moses who was God's instrument of judgment on Pharaoh in Egypt. And it was Moses who spoke God's words to the Egyptian king. It was Moses who God used to split the Red Sea and lead the people safely out. It's Moses who brought the people God's Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. It was Moses who brought them water in the desert as he struck the rock. It is Moses who interceded for God's people when God should have destroyed them for their sin. It was Moses who prayed and turned away God's wrath. His death, therefore, the death of Moses, that is a big deal. Uh, Gosh, this is a moment of real uncertainty. The risk of being tried. This is what's going to happen to Apple after Steve Jobs has died. What's going to happen to Man U after Alex Ferguson's gone? Um, well, you won something this season at least. But it's, uh, you know, gosh, what, what will happen? Uh, when the great leader dies, 
Things don't usually go very well after that. Almost always things go a bit wrong. And so we're standing with the Israelites on the, on the banks of the River Jordan at a time of huge uncertainty. When they have every reason to be fearful and anxious. They are few in number and they have no fortified cities to retreat to if things go wrong. If things go wrong, they will be slaughtered, annihilated, and they're without their great leader, Moses. But none of that matters. None of it matters. And Joshua is told, uh, don't be afraid or discouraged in verse 9. And the reason he doesn't need to be afraid or discouraged is he has God's promises and he has God's presence. He has God's promises and God's presence. Firstly, uh, he has... um, he has God's presence with him. Uh, look at um, what is said the, the, after the last time that Moses mentioned. Verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. You see, without God, Moses was absolutely useless, frankly. Without God, Moses had a go at rescuing the Israelites and he killed one Egyptian slave master and then did a runner because he was afraid for his life. With God, Moses destroyed Pharaoh and led the entire nation out to safety. And that God is with this man, Joshua, in the same way that he was with Moses. And so there's no need to be afraid. To be blunt, it really doesn't matter that Moses is dead because it was always God and God is with Joshua. And the second reason, so uh, he doesn't need to be afraid because he has um, God's presence. The second reason that it's okay that Moses is dead is because Joshua has God's promises. Verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Or verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Now God first uh, promised this particular land to Abraham way back in Genesis 15 verses 13 to 14. It's about 600 years earlier. And that promise was repeated then down through the generations but it wasn't the only promise that God gave Abraham. He promised I will make your descendants Abraham into a vast nation as numerous as the the sand on a seashore. He said uh, I promise I'll be with you always. He even promised you will go to Egypt and you'll be a slave nation there for 400 years, but then I will rescue you with my mighty power. He promised that he would protect them and deliver them. And every one of his promises, God kept every word of them. Not a single word fell to the ground unfulfilled. God did what God promised, no exceptions. Now, when I promise to do something, it depends upon, well, firstly, my ability to remember what I've promised, and secondly, my power to do it. God doesn't have my memory problem, and he doesn't change his mind, Numbers 23, 19. He, he's not like men that he changes his mind or forgets. He knows everything. And in Genesis 1, we learn his word is so powerful that when he says, let there be a universe... Seven septillion stars and a cosmos 93 billion light years across just has to appear because his word makes things happen. So when God makes a promise, it has to come true because his word creates reality. There's no way things can't happen when God has promised them. 
And when his word is that powerful, you and I don't need to worry that God will do what he's promised to us. And Joshua need not fear that God will do what God has promised for the Israelites. So Moses is dead, but that doesn't matter. Because it is God, the God of Moses, who's the amazing one. And Joshua has his presence and his promises. And in the light of that, uh, God commands Joshua in verses 7 to 9. And he commands him two things. Be bold and be biblical. Be bold and be biblical is what he says. Verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua is about to lead the people into a land full of fortified cities where they will be vastly outnumbered. And they have nowhere to retreat to if things go wrong. And therefore he needs immense amounts of courage. The courage to stand firm when things look impossible. The courage to do stuff which, humanly speaking, looks absolutely no way can this happen. But the courage to trust that what God has said, God will do. And so I will keep going and not turn back in fear. It takes huge bravery to do that. And especially when it's not just you that you're responsible for, but your action, your decision whether to go forward, has the life and death of a million people riding on your decision. It takes enormous courage for Joshua to lead. But it's not just military courage I think he needs. I think he also needs moral courage we see here. Uh, do you see that the command to be strong and courageous is linked, verse 7, to, to obedience to the law. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you, that you may not turn away from it. Now the law is a, it's a summary of everything that in the first five books of the Bible, and especially it lands on the Ten Commandments. And it will take courage and tenacity for Joshua to obey God's word. It's as simple as that. I think this really, there's, a, there's a sort of funny idea that, um, that somehow there was this previous time when it was, it was a lot easier to, to obey God's word. It's usually in, in our culture, we think it's the 1950s. That, you know, um, if we'd been Christians in the 1950s, it would have been a whole lot easier to obey God's word because it just fitted with culture. You know, it was, it, what the Bible said was much closer to the way people thought. Now, it's a half-truth at best. Yes, it's true that in matters of sexual ethics, uh, broadly the consensus in this country was a bit closer to the Bible. But the truth is that the casual racism, the unbelievable sexism, and the, just the complete lack of concern for, for the environment and polluting God's world, those things are appallingly unbiblical. But they were fine in the 1950s. You see, in every age... There will always be aspects of the culture that kind of fit with what the Bible says and aspects which are completely contrary to what God says. We mustn't fool ourselves into thinking, if only I'd been born then, if only I lived there, it would be so easy to, to be a Christian. Now the truth is that the challenge will come in different ways at different times and places and it won't always be as difficult to be a Christian as it is, say, in Islamic State territory in northern Syria or in North Korea today where you know, it costs you your life. But 
No matter where you live, no matter when you live, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to swim against the tide of culture. So don't wish you were somewhere else. Wherever you were, you'd still have to swim against the tide of culture. And Joshua is told to be strong and courageous because it will take courage for him to obey God. It's true in London. It was true in Canaan. As the Israelites move into Canaan, they, they are going into a culture which is radically opposed to everything God has said. They're going into a culture where your normal sacrifice, you know, I was talking to somebody earlier who was telling me that they may have a job interview coming up. If we were in Canaan, and I was a, a minister of religion in Canaan at the time Joshua arrived there, I would have said, well, what you need to do is uh, take your baby and burn it in the fire. Then the interview will go well. That is a very different moral culture from the Bible. And Joshua has to lead the people to be different. But it's not just the the Canaanites out there that they've got to be different from. The Israelites themselves don't have the best track record of keeping God's word. You, you, You do well to say they're anything more than a checkered history. And Joshua has to lead them into obedience. He's not just to look whatever you can get away with with the Israelites. You know, lead them as best you can. No, no, he's to obey God and lead them in obedience to God, whether the Israelites are up for it or not. And actually, when you, uh, when you read the book of Numbers, the account of their wilderness wanderings, the 40 years before this, you see it is basically a tale of grumbling, rebellion, and gross immorality. We were thinking of studying it, actually, this term, and one of the, one, only one of the reasons, but one of the reasons, it's just going to be so depressing. I'm not sure I can face that in the summer term. But it is just miserable when you read their history. Joshua is going to need courage if he's going to lead that people to obey God. Now, it says quite clearly here that the, uh, the obedience of Joshua is required. The obedience of the people is required for blessing. Look again at 7. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Verse 8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. You will succeed if you obey. That's the deal, Joshua. I have two things to say here. Firstly, just the simple, timeless truth. When you go with the maker's instructions, you go with the best way to live. You will not find better advice anywhere on this planet for how to conduct your life, how to form deep, rich friendships, how to be a good team leader at work, how to relate well to your parents. You won't find better advice for any of life Anywhere outside the Bible. It's God's instructions, the maker's instructions. And it's good. I think we, we often think of uh, God's rules as, as like the Bush Tucker trials in um, Celebrity Big Brother. Don't pretend you don't watch it. I know you do. Um, what's not to love about a program where B-list celebrities basically get um, sign up to be abused on television? <laughs> Why would you do that? Anyway, um, the Bush Tucker trials, I'm sure you know the thing. Uh, basically, if they're going to get food, they have to sort of lie in a, um, in a cage full of um, scorpions and eat cockroaches and um, you know, sort of be buried up to their face in elephant dung and you know, pleasant things like that. And it's, but you do that because if you do it, then you'll get food for, for the rest of the celebrities. Um, yay, so that's what you do. Uh, and we kind of think it's like that with God's rules. You know, God is a, uh, God will give me the good stuff that I want. You know, life will go all right if I just keep his word. And his word's like a miserable 
bush tucker challenge. But you get good stuff if you obey him. It is not like that with God. It's more like, a, it's more like if you're a horribly unhealthy person and you go on a, a really good exercise regime. I mean, you can tell from me, I'm down the gym all the time. Um, the, but it's, you know, actually, it's good for you to get through it. But actually, the, the thing itself is good for you. Uh, exercise is good for you. It's not just the result of, a, um, of you know, not being grossly obese that it's, and being really unhealthy. Uh, actually, the, the exercise itself is good. It's not a bad thing you get through to get the result of the body you want. Well, like uh, practicing music, um, it's not uh, the scales aren't just they're awful. Everything about music practice is bad. Actually, it's good. It is a, it's good to play the instrument, and you become good at music at the end. Obeying God's rules is not just something horrible and miserable we do to get God's blessing. It is good for us. It is healthy for us. It is the best diet to eat. It is the best exercise regime to grow spiritually fit. So, so live out God's way. Uh, secondly, we'll come back to this one at the end, but to inherit God's blessing, you need to obey God's ways. Uh, Israel learned this throughout the 24 chapters of Joshua. It's one of the big themes we looked at at the start. If you want to inherit God's blessings, you've got to. You've got to obey God's ways. We'll come back to that. Um, uh, thirdly, moving a bit quicker, uh, there's no rest till all rest, verses 10 to 15. God has commissioned Joshua, and now Joshua uh, turns and commissions the people. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp, tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he's done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Uh, Okay, quick context. Uh, There are a bunch of farmers, those three tribes. In Numbers 32, when the Midianites and the other tribes attack them east of the Jordan and uh, they get defeated, uh, the the Midianites get defeated, they look around and say, you know what, Um, I don't have no idea what's on the other side of the Jordan in the promised land, but when it comes to raising cattle, Uar, this is the best land you can imagine. So farmer boys that we are, can we have this? And they say, yes, but your fighting men are to cross over with the rest of the Israelites because you are God's people united. And so you fight with them and you don't get to enjoy your inheritance until everybody enjoys their inheritance. There's lots you could say, but the big thing is the Christian life is a corporate life. I don't mean you have to work for one of the big four accountants firms. I mean, it's, it's corporate. We're a body. We're communal. We're a family of God. We're the body of Christ. We're a building. And we'll see again and again in Joshua that the actions of the one affect everybody. We are united in Christ And we are to serve one another, to help one another, to support one another. We are not isolated individuals. So the slogan of Christianity is not survival of the fittest. It is one for all and all for one. Okay, uh, finally then, uh, we get to verses 16 to 18. As Joshua um, starts to give the final commands to the Israelites and they respond, verses 16 to 18. And the interesting thing to my mind is these verses don't go quite exactly the way you expect them to. 
Then they answered Joshua, whatever you've commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. God commands Joshua to obey his commands and promises his presence. Joshua commands the people, get ready to obey God by crossing into the land. And the people respond, we will obey you as we obeyed Moses. But I think in the way we think, verses 17 should go, just as we fully obeyed Moses, we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with us as he will be with you. May he make us strong and courageous as we follow you into battle. But it doesn't say that. They say, only may he be with you. Only you be strong and courageous. The emphasis is on Joshua, on God with him, on his courage and his strength. In other words, the hope of this people is not that they've learnt the lessons of the wilderness years and they will be different from their parents and they will obey God. The great hope of this people is not in themselves but in Joshua and this changes everything. It's interesting, when you turn to Hebrews 11, which is, uh, in one sense, the, the New Testament looking back at the story of the Old Testament and, and telling us what to learn from, from, the, from the story. And in Hebrews 11, it, it talks about all the, all the characters of the Old Testament and how for all their flaws and failures, uh, God brought his promises about through them. And you read about uh, Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses, but when it gets to this point in the story, it doesn't mention Joshua. doesn't mention Joshua trusting the Lord and, uh, and great things happening. It mentions the people. Why doesn't it mention Joshua? Why mention the people at this point rather than Joshua? And I think the point is very simply because Joshua is not so much a model for us to emulate. He trusts God's promises and relies on God's presence. We're told to do those things, so yeah. But that's not the main thing he is. He's not mainly an example for us to emulate. He is a leader for us to trust and follow. You start to see a bit more clearly when you realize Moses changed his name. His original name is Hoshea, which means uh, the one who saves. Moses changed it to Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. Or um, most of you would be much more familiar with the Greek version of that name, Jesus. Oh, Joshua is not primarily a model for you and me to live up to. Joshua is the leader who we trust, who does stuff for us. That's why the people don't say, only let God be with us. Only help us to be courageous. Because the great need of the people is that Joshua is the great leader who God is with. And Joshua is strong to get them into the promised land. And Jesus is our Joshua. Joshua is a type, a shadow, a model uh, to help us understand who Jesus is and what he would do. Jesus is the one who perfectly trusted in God's promises and perfectly obeyed God's word, as Joshua does. He is the one who was courageous in defeating the enemies of God's people, not weirdly named tribes like the Girgashites and the Jebusites, but sin and death. 
as he absorbed God's wrath on the cross and rose to new life in his resurrection. He is the one who leads us into our inheritance in God's promises, God's promised inheritance, not a a physical geographical land, but the whole of the new creation. And this is good news for you and for me. It means that uh, the command in Joshua 1 to obey, the command to be strong, the condition that you will only succeed if you obey, does not rest on your shoulders and mine, but on Jesus' shoulders. They are burdens carried for us by our Joshua, Jesus. And that is wonderful. Uh, The Olympics are are coming up soon. We were fortunate enough to, to go to Rio a month or so back. And it's slightly concerning. I mean, the place is still a building site. Uh, but I love the Brazilians. Uh, you ask a Brazilian, uh, looks a little bit like, you know, there's some work to be done. They say, we won't be finished, but we will be ready. <laughs> there's something I rather like about that attitude. But you, know, you, you do realize this isn't, you know, you can't blag the biggest event in, in the world. <laughs> this isn't like, you know, a house party. This is the Olympics. Okay, whatever. It'll be fun. Um, and one of the great things about the Olympics is the, the bragging rights it, it gives us. So it was, I remember the Beijing Olympics. It was for the first time in ages that uh, the UK got far more gold medals than Australia. Huzzah! And it was great. The Aussies had the great comeback that it was only in sports that involved sitting down, basically, um, sort of rowing and cycling. But hey, a gold medal is a gold medal. And, and you have bragging rights. You have bragging rights. We won. And that's the deal with the Olympics. It promises you, you get a lifetime of glory and bragging rights if you win. So how are we feeling about the Rio Olympics? Are we going to have bragging rights? If you ask me that, I'm not going to say to you, well, you know what? I'm the wrong side of 40 now and my back's not what it was and I have lost a little bit of pace. Don't be ridiculous. I'm not going to be running. It's Mo Farah and his fitness that you should be worried about, and Jessica Ennis and her fitness, that's, that's what's going to win the gold medals. You don't, when somebody asks, are we going to win enough gold medals at the Rio Olympics, you don't start thinking about your dicky knee and, uh, and your wheezy chest. You, you think about the star athletes that you're going to rely on. You ask a Jamaican, you know, do you think you're going to win any gold medals at the Olympics? And, and two words for you, Usain Bolt. Yes, we are, lots. And when they do we all get to enjoy. We all get to share. And as Christians, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, we are not weighed down with this burden of the need that there are these great, awesome promises God has offered so long as you are strong enough, fit enough, and fast enough, so long as you're godly enough and brave enough to live out God's commands. That's not the deal. The deal is you put your trust in Jesus and he has won. He is our Usain Bolt, our Mo Farah. He is our Joshua. He has perfectly obeyed. He has defeated our enemies of sin and death. And all we have to do is trust in him. And so if you put your trust in Jesus, you can be confident. Not arrogant, but confident because it's not down to you. Stop worrying. It's not down to you. It's not down to your godliness, your courage. Your faithfulness. See, Christianity is good news because Christianity is the news of what Jesus has done. And you and I get to enjoy. God promises. Jesus obeys. We enjoy. That's the deal.
And that's why at the end of uh, Romans 8, as Paul surveys uh, all the things that can go wrong and all the difficulties and challenges we face as, as Christians, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Rejoice in your great Joshua, Jesus, and all of God's promises are yours. Let's pray. Our Father God, we, uh, we thank you that we have a, one who is able to do what we fail to do. Uh, one who obeys your word. One who is brave in the face of challenges. And one who has been through death for us. We thank you, Father, that Jesus Christ will bring us into your inheritance. And we pray that you would help us to trust him. And we pray that we would be confident people if we do. For we know that he will do what he has said. Amen.